0: Section 31 of the Indian Storybook This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by S.K. Edison, New Jersey The Indian Storybook by Richard Wilson Story 9. The Great Drought A Tale of a Thirsting Land and a Thirsting Life Parts 1 and 2 Part 1 once upon a time, the land of Angars was solely afflicted by drought. The earth goddess suffered greatly, and her anguish was shared by all living creatures. The soil was too feeble to bring forth fruit or grass, so that the animals died and men grew pale from hunger. The king of the Angars prayed earnestly for relief, and when no answer came to his prayers, he flung himself in despair upon the ground and cried to the god Vishnu, whose presence penetrates all things life is too sorrowful let me die my heart is so full of pity for my people whose sunken eyes gaze upon me as upon the face of their father how can i endure this agony of vain supplication and live all their sufferings seem to gather within my own breast the weight of their misery bows me to the earth if there be no help for me call me back to the bosom of the gods whence i came Having made this most earnest supplication, the king rose from his knees and summoned his ministers and courtiers to meet all the Brahmins and holy men of the kingdom in a solemn council. When they came together, he said to them, Can none of you suggest how this curse may be removed from the land? If I cannot be of use to my people, I am determined to bring my life to an end, and that without further delay. Then a holy brahmin stepped out from among the rest and stood before the king. He was famous for the purity and tranquillity of his life, and for his deep knowledge of the ways of wisdom and virtue. Hear me, O king, he said quietly. In the depths of the forest lives a hermit whose name is Vibhantaka. Long, long ago he left this city with his heart filled with hatred against all mankind, because he has found in his dealings with them nothing but foolishness and wickedness. He had a deep scorn for all which goes by the name of pleasure, and beauty in all its forms and manifestations he utterly despised. He took with him into his forest retreat his infant son, Rishasringa, and, choosing a cave in the most desolate part of the forest, he settled down to bring up the boy in such a manner that he would never be disillusioned by experience. I give you, my child, he said to the infant, the beasts of the forest to be your playfellows. From them you will learn less of cruelty and wickedness than from human beings. You will hear the shriek of the parrot, the howl of the jackal, the mule of the lynx, and the screech of the hyena, but you will be spared the unnatural sound of the quarrelsome voices of men and women. Among the most repulsive reptiles and venomous insects, you will live in ignorance of the wild jealousies and angry passions of men exposed to the weather with its violent changes attended at every step by a thousand dangers living a life of hardship affliction and peril you will live more peacefully and more securely than among the people of a busy city the father carried out his plan for training the boy as a recluse and from childhood to youth rishya had heard no human voice and looked upon no human face except that of his father the hermit is known far and near for his anger and for his rage against all the race of men and women. Consequently, the hunter takes care to avoid his cave and the other dwellers in the forest go a long way out of their path to keep away from it. Even the prowling beasts of prey do not go near to the place for the gods approving of the severity of the hermit's life have given him the evil and awful power to curse. And now Rishasringa has become a man and in his life there is a drought as great as that which afflicts this unhappy land over which you rule o king for lacking the cheering presence of his fellow men all kinds of generous and good qualities inherent in his noble nature droop and are like to die just as the kindly fruits of the soil in this stricken country cannot refresh the bodies of men because the refreshing grain refuses to fall from the heavens Yet this young man is destined by the gods to perform great deeds and be the ancestor of a gallant race, and it has been granted to you, O king of men, to rescue the youth from the power of this angry recluse. You shall fling open the doors of his heart that his fellow men may make it their home. You shall teach him how noble a thing it is to be a noble husband by giving him the hand of the princess Kantha, your daughter." to you shall be granted the honour of bringing forth this hero to the light of the world of men. And in return for this great service, which you shall thereby render to mankind, the clouds will pour their treasures of rain over your kingdom, and your afflicted people will once more raise their heads. As soon as the holy man had finished his speech, the king rose from his throne and said, Which of you will set out at once in search of the young hermit? there was a stir among the councillors and ministers. ''This is an honourable mission,'' they said to one another, ''and it is fitting that so illustrious a person as yourself should carry it out.'' But no men came forward on his account to say, ''Send me, O king.'' At length, however, a kinsman of the king and one of the most valiant men among the Angars stepped forward and said, ''Tell me, O holy Brahmin, has this recluse really received the power to curse?'' Yes, said the old man. The gods undertook to grant him whatever he might ask, and he begged for this terrible gift. The councillors and ministers looked at one another in dismay, and silence fell upon the company. The king looked round upon them with appealing eyes. Is there none, he asked, brave enough to come to the rescue of my fainting people? No one answered, and the council was broken up. A few days later, however, the king once more summoned his ministers and advisers to a council. ''I have thought of a plan,'' he said, ''by which we may bring the young hermit here and yet avoid the terrible curse of his father.'' The courtiers were by this time somewhat ashamed of their cowardice and said, ''We are your servants, O king, and at your command we are prepared, if necessary, to risk our lives or even to incur the terrible curse of Vibhantaka.'' These words, however, were merely the words of empty courtesy, and they muttered under their breath, Plague, take him! Is he going to ask us to set out upon this foolish mission again? How can the coming of this young hermit cause the rain to fall? Listen to me, said the king. This young man has spent all his life in the woods. He has seen only the animals, birds, and reptiles. As for mankind, he is familiar with the face and form of his father alone, whom hatred and malice have transformed into a savage. How shall it be with Rishisringa if he sees the face of a beautiful woman? Fit me out, without delay, a spacious vessel, planted with trees and shrubs, mosses, flowers and ferns, so that it may seem like a lovely island, and let the most beautiful maidens in my kingdom go on board this vessel disguised as hermits. Then let the wind and the flowing stream convey these messengers to the place where the angry recluse holds the young hermit as a prisoner, and in the absence of the father, let the maidens lure the young man on board the vessel. If I am not greatly mistaken, the ship will return to us with a willing captive. See that my commands are obeyed without delay, that the clouds may once again pour down their generous rains to rejoice the hearts of all my subjects.' When the ministers and councillors heard the plan of the king, they were delighted beyond all measure, and lost no time in following out his directions. Now that the task of fetching the young hermit had fallen upon other shoulders, they assured the king that it was of the highest importance that the directions of the aged Brahmin should be followed to the letter. So the lovely maidens embarked on a ship, which had been fitted out in accordance with the king's instructions and the wind and the floating river swiftly conveyed them disguised as hermits to the place of retreat of the recluse who had received from the gods the terrible power to curse part two now it happened that for some time before this the recluse had avoided as much as possible the society of his son in his heart of hearts he knew that he was no fit companion for the young man for his temper was so dreadful and the awful power which he had coveted and obtained was so ready to manifest itself that he frequently poured forth curses almost against his will so that he had in truth become afraid of his own evil passions to avoid making any mistake which no power in heaven or earth could correct he kept out of his son's way it was his habit at early dawn to take his hermit's staff in his hand and go out alone into the woods, and he would wander about until the fever of anger was worn away and his mind was more calm and tranquil. The young hermit was, therefore, often left alone for days together, and he felt very desolate indeed, for youth craves companionship, as the thirsty soil longs for the refreshing rain. One evening, when the young man was feeling sad beyond expression, he strolled out into the woodland paths in search of sweet fruits and berries. It was that wonderful hour which marks the close of the Indian day, when the spirit of enchantment seems to hover over the earth, when colour is rarified without being obscured, and the shapes of things are rendered ethereal without distortion or effacement the dreamy youth wandered onward beneath the stately plantain and the sweetly perfumed mango overhead he heard the twittering of the birds as they prepared to settle down side by side for the night under their tender canopy of leaves on either side of the narrow path which his father had made by angrily tearing away the undergrowth he saw the long grass and the feathery ferns transformed into fairy jungles by the tender golden light and here and there the prickly cactus with its flaming blossoms intermingled with the snowy flowers of the jessamine. And as he walked onward, in spite of, or perhaps because of, all the beauty, he felt very sad indeed. All at once a shower of dates that fell upon him from a neighbouring palm-tree roused him from his sad reflections. Looking upward, he saw perched on the topmost bough, a squirrel which, when it caught his eye, wrapped its face in its bushy tail, while at the same time it peeped through the fringe of it with shy but curious black and beady eyes. "'Dear me,' it said, in the tone of one who is very penitent indeed, "'I am really very sorry, but the branch from which I sprang shook itself, and consequently the fruit fell. I can assure you that it really fell of itself.' Do not visit upon me, for pity's sake, any of your noble and reverend father's curses. Foolish little creature, said the youth, with a smile of infinite sweetness and sadness. I would rather bless you than curse you, if, indeed, I had the power to do so. The youth went onward, and a little farther away came upon a lovely gazelle, which stood in the shade of a fir-tree, while its large, appealing eyes brimmed over with unshed tears. Woe is me, it said, for my poor, harmless mate. Just because it crossed the path of the cruel hermit, he slew it with a curse. And I am left all alone. The heart of the youth was filled with pity, and going up to the graceful creature, he said, I, too, am sad at heart. Let us weep together. But as soon as the gazelle saw him approach, it started away in great alarm. Do not be afraid of me, said the young man. I would not harm you for worlds. You are the son of the man who has the power to curse, was the answer. Nay, said Rishyasringa. you and I have one father to whom we both owe the gift of life. We are brothers, do not be afraid of me, I beseech you. But with the words, you are the son of the man who has the power to curse, the timid animal made a hasty escape into the depths of the darkening forest. Then, with his eyes flowing with tears, the unhappy young man flung up his arms in piteous petition to the powers of heaven. "'Why have I been sent into the world?' he cried in bitter anguish, and given feeling and a sense of right and wrong. "'The whole plan of creation would be perfect but for my unhappy self. I see the marvellous power that binds all living creatures in sympathy and interchange of service, while I, and I alone, stand outside of its kindly influence.' I have the power of song, but there is none to listen to my singing. I am strong with the strength of perfect health, but there is naught for me to conquer. I have skill of hand and power of brain, but there is no necessity for me to use these heaven-sent gifts. Thoughts which have wings flock to my mind like homing birds to the mother's nest, but there are none to share them. A love of the stars and flowers and trees fills my heart with rapture. But what is love which begins and ends with self? I have desires unknown and unnamed, but they find nothing upon which they can be exercised. I starve for companionship, and the love of my fellow creatures. End of Section 31 Recording by S.K. Edison, New Jersey